I'm waiting for you to sit down. <laughs> Heavenly Father, thank you for this time in your word as we discuss uh, today in particular marriage as we continue on with uh, mothers in the Bible. And uh, we do have it titled uh, According to Scriptures, and that is what we want to concentrate on. There's a lot of information we know, Lord, out there about uh, personal opinions and views, uh, but they dissolve with your word. And please be with us now in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. In Psalm 1, it says uh, concerning this individual, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. I think we've mentioned that one before. So I guess the question that's being proposed in your own mind might be this one. Let's say I see something on TV and I'm really interested in it. And then my thoughts go, I really don't know that much about the book of Deuteronomy. So the question would be, what are you going to do? Okay, that's a compromise. I, I don't know what you're going to do. I don't always make the right decision. You know, shows appeal you know, usually to a person's basic personality and intellect. So I do watch a lot of cartoons. But then I do have grandchildren. Well, today, if I could see my, uh, well, there you go. That's, thank you very much for putting that up there. That's. Next slide, please. I mean, I know I could do it, but I, why bother, right? Okay, the, these are things I've listed that we're going to do today. The first two will take a very short amount of time because they were questions that were asked of me last week in a more or less private way. And then I have a couple more comments, but basically we're going to go to marriage and uh, we're going to talk about what is godly marriage, what is secular marriage. I mean, they're so close anymore, right? You can't really tell one from the other. I mean, they're so close. And then today, and by that I mean, are things getting better? Every day, right? Getting better. In that arena of marriage, things are just getting better. I only cheated on her five times. Because I was bored. Oh, well, okay. I mean, I've heard people say things like that. All right. And then what God says about marriage is our number one priority. Because that is what we want to know. But I do want to mention Albert Keller. I didn't mean to scare you there, Al. But I really appreciate his work as Sunday school superintendent. And he's been talking to me about this class for a long time. And I, I'm glad, I, I'm glad it, it, it's worked out for both of us. Plus, he gave me, you remember uh, Abraham, not Abraham, Jacob's first wife, Leah, said she was weak-eyed. But Rachel was beautiful. And that comparison always seemed kind of uh, odd. Like, uh, how would you put it? Uh, well, he's a very, very determined man. But he eats popcorn. And you're, you're sitting there going, well, wait a minute. She's beautiful, but she's weak-eyed? 
Is that supposed to be some kind of an attractiveness comparative analysis or not? Well, Albert, why don't you tell us what you came up with? I think it's cross-eyed. I never thought of that. that That's certainly a possibility. But there's one thing just hanging above our heads with this woman, Leah. If If it's proposing that she is unattractive, why did Jacob have six children with her? And only two with Rachel and two with each of the two maids. Oh, yeah, to me, that's a pretty good question, right? So, so she wasn't looking good compared to Rachel. Okay. So what happened? Well, I had five more kids with her. That doesn't ring a bell anyway. At least not in my mind. Yep. Let me ask you this. Let's say Rachel had six kids and Lee only had two. Would that be evidence that could be pulled from or utilized to show you that maybe he wasn't as attracted, attracted to Leah as he was to Rachel? Well, I'm, I'm just asking, could it be used that way in an argument? Let me, give you, let me give you the ridiculous answer. And, and that's always one that you usually judge, especially with legal things. Here's the ridiculous answer. <clears throat> Do you love this woman? Nah. I, you know, her eyes are weak. Oh, okay. Did you love this woman? Yeah. Well, how many kids do you have with her and do you support them? Oh, 15. And how about the woman that you say you do love? Uh, we're going to have a kid someday. What, what would you say in a court of uh, the Bible? Yes. Okay, so what you're saying, that fact would actually ameliorate the previous fact. Which all brings us back to the question, we don't really know. We don't even know what weak-eyed means. We know what a lot of people say it means. I kind of like Albert's because that would explain a lot of things. Because the the strength of the the muscles would be one of the reasons she would be weak-eyed and then perhaps that would affect her appearance. But anyway, I don't want to get stuck on that one because of the time. Yeah. Well, absolutely, that's true. There, there is no doubt that that's true. But it also sounds to me like when you say one was beautiful, but the other was weak-eyed, you're making a comparison based upon attractiveness. And I would submit to everybody, attractiveness is a factor in a lot of relationships. But you're right, I don't know. God knows, he's in charge, he's sovereign. Okay, that was a good point. Okay. All right, let's don't go too far off. the uh, Dreams universal and dreams biblical. Now, I've had a number of people tell me this. For the life of me, I can't, who were our uh, missionaries to Turkey at one time? They came back, 
name with the pestles. They told me once that everybody in that area dreams. And uh, we've heard that from so many sources. I actually was asked that question by the pastor once, if there's any theological information in the Bible that would speak to that. And unfortunately, there isn't. But one thing we would know is if the Bible said somebody dreamed, or at least recorded their quote, it's very probable that God had something to do with that. Otherwise, there would be no reason to put it in here. So I just wanted to clear that up. Uh, So that's why I talk about dreams universal and dreams biblical. Uh, Does anybody in here dream? Okay. Do do any of you... Yeah, no. (laughs) Any of you say, well, you know, God's sending me a message when I dream. That's possible. I'm not saying it's not. And, of course, you would prove that by doing what? Is there any way to prove that? Likes dreams, too, I bet, right? Okay. Let's talk about marriage. Uh, I'm in favor of marriage. Anyway, before I became a Christian. But God gives us a lot of uh, very good reasons as to why he spends so much time on it. Just think of Proverbs. How much of Proverbs is spent telling people to stay with the wife of your youth, right? Or uh, don't, and, and to the younger men, the early part of Proverbs, what's the message again and again? Don't eat jelly beans, guys. I'm telling you, uh, you know, well, what's the message? Stay away from who? What? That's right. To stay away from a woman who's... Uh, reputation is not good, perhaps, or whose occupation is one that's not to be mentioned. Why? And that's Proverbs, mostly of Solomon, but of course, obviously, the Holy Spirit uh, protracted that onto the pages of the Bible. Why spend so much time on that? Didn't spend that much time on a lot of other things we might think about, like lying. He does spend time on lying, but not as much as he does on this. And not only that, throughout the entire Bible, in the New Testament and the Old, that keeps coming up all the time. Now, what, given that, if you agree with it, and I hope you do, why do you think God spends so much time talking about this or speaking of this? Right. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, that is a activity that many people engage in. Marriage, I mean. But if you stop and think about it, who invented marriage? Well, you see, how these bunch of guys around the campfire one day. No, we we have absolutely all kinds of evidence that monogamy had been legislated, we'll use that word, even in tribal eras, okay, where there was no mention of God himself, but most of them were monogamous, except for one group. One group wasn't, those were the 1% of the guys that were rich. Used to be. Used to be. 
So what you see here begins in uh, Genesis chapter 2. Let's go ahead and take a look at that. As a matter of fact, if I have a, uh, could have a volunteer, let me find it here and we'll uh, just have it read aloud. One moment, please. Genesis chapter 2, beginning with, uh, what have I got here? Okay. 20 through 24. No. Okay, yeah. 20 through 24. Yes, sir. Thank you. Uh, just think about that for a minute from a human sin or human nature point of view. That doesn't make any sense, does it? Well, does it? <laughs> for the woman and also for the man. And, and, but I understand what you're saying. But my point is, you're told to say goodbye to your parents. Leave the household. Now, today, of course, we've got phones and all this automobiles and stuff. Although probably people will have to stop driving them sometime when gas gets over $60 a gallon. It's just supposed to be next month. But uh, The thing about it is, uh, if you stop and think about that, when you get married to someone, God expects it to be a covenant between you and your spouse. But he also says it's a covenant between him and the marriage, which he sees as one. One. Not two, one. So God is dependent upon the marriage as a separate entity. And that spoils one of the greatest sports people have had in their minds for years. Good guy, bad guy. Good woman, bad man. Bad man, good woman. Does anybody ever get involved in that kind of thinking or see it exposed for what it is on, say, some kind of a drama on television or maybe some crackerjack trial between two people that you shouldn't really take seriously and the whole point of the whole trial has got absolutely nothing to do with good man, bad woman, uh, good woman, bad man. I think you know what I'm talking about. That's not what that trial's about, by the way. Uh, we got one junior high school kid up there trying to crack jokes, and then you have a woman that's so mad at him, uh, I think it's clouded her judgment. But that isn't the point of the trial. But you'd never know it hearing people. I hear people talk about it all the time. Uh, I don't particularly want to hear it because it's of no interest to me at all. But what is of interest is this idea of one flesh. One, one flesh, okay? 
If that's true, and it is because God says it is, that means there is no such thing in that particular entity now. Not that you're not judged by God as an individual as well, but that, he says, is a covenant. He's really, really, really interested in how you attend to your own marriage. He's super attentive to that because it keeps coming up all the time. For example, you can't do the good guy, bad guy thing. Why not? Because it takes two people. He calls it one flesh. So I would look at it like this. And and if I'm wrong, uh, yeah, I'm wrong. So I'm going to say it anyway. In In my opinion... You don't have you don't have winners and losers in a marriage. You either both win or you both lose. And that's the end of it. There is there is no other option. Now, naturally, relatives, friends, and people are going to kind of pick sides. And uh, certainly we, we, we can certainly see things that uh, encourage us to to be very, very, very uh, passionate involved with one side because there are there are such marriages as that uh, somebody was quoting a verse to me first Corinthians the only you know, it says if you're married to an unbeliever you and that that unbeliever doesn't want to leave you should not insist on it now how hard is that Think if you didn't, you weren't married to a godly spouse. How hard is that? But it also doesn't mean that if this person thinks, oh, I'd like to stay and slug you across the room every Saturday night. That doesn't work. That is not an answer, a correct answer to the question, do you want to leave? No, I'd rather beat you up every once in a while. That makes me feel better. Oh, okay. Well, that's not okay. So, Let's turn to uh, 3.16 of Genesis, please. By the way, any comments on what I just said? Thank you. 3.16. Anybody? Yes, ma'am. Okay, that's an interesting verse. The first part of it's fairly easy to understand, I think. Um, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. I would take it that that means when you have a baby, which I've never had. By the way, I can't have a baby. (laughs) I got an XY chromosome. It's impossible. Even if I wanted to pretend I could, I, I couldn't. Okay. So this applies to women, obviously, because he's addressing a woman. doesn't say he's addressing anybody besides a woman because God knows nobody besides a woman can have a baby. I mean, our entire government and all of our officials know that's true if they know anything, right? Wait a minute. (laughs) Uh, There was a Supreme Court justice, and uh, somebody said, could you define a woman for me? And she said, no. No, I really can't because I'm not a biologist. No, you can't define a woman. 
you realize these are the same people that say follow the science, right? You take a blood test. If you get XX chromosomes, you got a woman. Well, they say, what if this person with two X chromosomes, which, by the way, is throughout the body, in a cellular form, everywhere, even in their big toe. If you take blood out of their big toe or take a slice of their tissue out of their big toe, you're going to see XX. Uh, the mother supplies, she has two X's, obviously. She'll give an X. The man's got XY, and he supplies an X, and you got a woman. That's the way it works. We've known this for hundreds of years. And now we have people saying, well, yeah, but what about trans people? There are no such things. I know there are no such things because there's no scientific evidence of it other than what they say. And I don't trust them too much. I'm suspicious. I I, I smell a rat, if you know what I mean. But if you haven't got, if you got two X chromosomes... No matter what else you do, you're, you're female, you're a woman. Even if you take a whole bunch of uh, normative uh, hormonal therapy and have a surgeon play games with you, you're still a 2Xer. That means you're a woman. That's the most definitive test to see if that's the answer. I thought everybody knew this. I mean, I learned it by the time I was at least a senior in college. <laughs> Who's kidding who here? What is this? What do you mean you don't know? I, uh, I self-identify as a woman. Or I self-identify as a man. Well, I got, you've got one big problem. I self-identify as being 30 years old and 6'8". We got a deal? Sir? What were you going to say? I think you probably got a point. Unfortunately, we can't spread it out that far. But obviously, there's a good reason why a... Uh, I don't want to use this term government to, to reply, apply to everybody that's got a job in government. That's not true. But some of the so-called deep thinkers in government don't like families. And there's a good reason they don't. What is it? What is the one thing you know above all else that a government entity wants from you? Well, control, but somebody else said something. Money. Here's here's your problem. If if you want to suck money out of a family, what are you going to do if the woman doesn't have a job and makes things at home and there's no purchase required, no receipt She gets no income, quote, unquote. That is, nobody writes her a check. 16 hours uh, today, you know, that's $5.15 plus tax. But uh, somebody did a study once years ago, and they found out that a housewife, by merely lowering the restaurant bills, that's because women, obviously, sometimes men, they cook at home. The government doesn't get a cut of that. If you go to a restaurant and pay for it, they get a cut of it. So that's not doing any good if you're a taxing agency. And on and on we could go. Uh, you say, well, why, why do so many people say, well, you've got to have a career? 
Because they want your money. It's it's the only thing I can think of. Why else would they care? You know, it's uh, $110,000 a year. If you take a wife, a good, hard-working wife with a good, hard-working husband, and write down everything she does for a year, if you had to pay for it from outside services, babysitting, cleanup, oh, that's a big one, uh, on and on you could go, you know, housekeeping, uh, preparing meals, and so that would cost you if you if you chose to say, well, I, my wife can't do that. And I understand some wives have to work. I just know this is no uh, indictment on anybody. But from the government's point of view, they don't want her home working for free because if she works for free, they don't get any of the money. Just a thought. Probably one I should move away from at this time. Okay, <laughs> let's go to the next slide. I, I'm sure I got something on that one. Oh, you remember this? It's been a while. N- nobody knows who that is? I think probably everybody does, and they don't want to. Right. Okay, that guy is very fortunate, and so was the country of England when she was married in the royal family. If you're going to look for somebody to, to move into the royal family with the possibility now proven to produce heirs to the throne, she has three already. Now, obviously, his father is getting up there. He may, he may or may not succeed his mother, and even if he does, he's not going to be in there long. He's next on the list. So if you're familiar with English primogeniture, you, you might ask yourself, well, okay, let's say... Boom, he's gone. Who's next? What? His oldest. Exactly. His oldest child, male or female, in this case it's male, they changed that law. It used to be uh, if you got five sons and one daughter, even if she's the oldest, she's number six. But that's not true anymore. So she has not only married in the the royal family and is uh, married to the man that will be king, Probably. She also has three of her own children that could sit on the throne. And uh, that, in my opinion, in my opinion, that's the kind you want for that job, not the other kind. They've had the other kind a couple of times. As a matter of fact, I think his brother maybe went in that direction a little bit. Okay. That's the only reason I wanted to show that because, you know, some people get dressed up to get married. Uh, my cousin was my best man and we were in the car going to the church and he said, I want you to understand one thing. This isn't about you. This is your wife's show. Shut up and do whatever they tell you to do. And I said, because he was already married. I said, okay. And then, uh, I, I think somebody else said, you know, we don't really need you. We could just get a, a, a wooden cardboard cutout. No, nobody cares how you're dressed. Nobody cares, you know, uh, you know, if you got something kind of hairstyle. Like, frankly, you know, just, you're just there, okay? You're a, a drum somebody else is going to beat, maybe. I don't know. Just a little wild thought. Next uh, slide. Okay. <clears throat> Could somebody read Genesis 
Well, we've already read it, but let's do it again. Genesis 2.24. The big one, yes. Therefore, a man, therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. All right, thank you. Now, first of all, this idea of leaving your father and mother is a big deal, especially in a, in a tribal society, because you usually, you'll find in, in, in certain places, the whole tribe is all together, and there is no such thing as uh, what we're talking about here. I mean, a guy, uh, the father doesn't do what he's supposed to when the kid's 18, said, well, son, I love you a lot. See you later. Bye. I mean, that's what we're supposed to do. The job of a parent, in my opinion, and I think the Bible would support that, is to provide everything that a baby at birth needs to attain independence by the time they're 18, including a skill and the ability to take care of themselves. So uh, those, that kind of thing has changed over the years too, but that, that's just the notion I think we're seeing from here. As a matter of fact, the way one person put it, he said, imagine this, okay? You are going to get married, okay? Let's go get a couple of chains, you're chained to each other for life. And people say, oh, that's not right. That's not fair. Well, that's what God says. And there, there is nothing you can do short of a crime to escape those bonds. Which means, to me, if you're going to get married to somebody, you want to make sure you know what you're doing. Because... Our law, a little softer on it than it used to be. It's going to get even softer. But it's almost like asking somebody, well, okay, first of all, where do you live? Well, I live right here with my mom and dad. I got a job. I'm going to college. Get out of there. Well, no, you don't understand. You know, I don't have that much. Get out of there. Eat pizza. Go. Secondly, you leave, you leave uh, your father and mother and you cleave unto your wife. Cleave is an interesting word. How does one cleave to their wife? Okay. Your wife is your job. You don't let go of her. She doesn't let go of you. You protect her when she needs to be protected. And you listen to her for as long as necessary, not to solve her problems, but just to be somebody to listen. And man, that's fun. That's really fun. <laughs> but it's necessary. Men evidently have an emotional dump. And the reason is, it, they do, they have an emotional dump. You say, well, why is that? Well, if you're a man, your big job is to solve a problem. And you can't say, well, let's pretty up the place first. Or anything. I'm not saying women's needs are petty. I'm just saying a guy is not real interested in much except there's what I need to take care of. Excuse me, I'm going to go take care of that. That's what's on his mind. Now, if he gets emotional, he may not be able to do that. I mean, most people don't think of it that way. They think of toxic masculinity. Uh, I'm actually for toxic masculinity. I wish we had more of it. 
And that is when you don't have what I call wimpomania. You walk somewhere and, and uh, somebody messes with your wife. If you're a man in this room, you already know what you need to do. Do it. So men get rid of their emotions simply because their energy has to go somewhere else. Now, it doesn't mean you have no emotions. It doesn't mean you're not sophisticated. It doesn't mean you turn into a gorilla. It doesn't mean anything like that. It simply means you'll have to attend to your emotions later after the job is done because right now she's in danger and I don't have time to emote for 15 or 20 minutes or seconds. I need to target whatever it is that's giving my wife discomfort and take care of it right now. On the other hand, women with their higher vocabularies and their greater social skills and their better use of the language are more, more apt. And I'm not saying they never do that either. Sometimes they do. Uh, there is one exception. I'll get to that in a minute. But the bottom line with women is that's what they're supposed to do. Well, why is that? Because there's deeper meaning in these things. And the guy, that's not his, that's not his job. His job is to take care of the problem. She, she may see insights, deeper reasoning, do something to make the marriage better as a consequence. So women have this big thing of emotion, okay? And when a husband comes home, the best thing for her to do is pick it up, take it, and walk over to him and say, let me tell you about my day. And so the man should know this is not the time to ask a bunch of questions. You're just, you're just there to listen and to be sympathetic, right? You don't ask a bunch of questions. Ah, oh, that's just silly. Ah, oh, you're dreaming. No, you don't do that kind of thing. Let's go to uh, 1 Corinthians 6.16. Oh, wait a minute. Genesis 3.16. We didn't read that yet, did we? I'm uh, just testing you guys, see? <laughs> I wanted to say one more thing about that verse, though. What does it mean when it says, your desire shall be for your husband and he shall rule over you? Ooh, that one's, that, that one's a little, people don't like that one much. Yeah. Okay. Contrary. As opposed to What's the word we're proposed to here? Desire. Oh, desire. Contrary. Okay. I don't know the basic language on this, but I have heard many people say, how shall I put this? Uh, it's not so much uh, a situation where, where there is enmity. It's who's in the best position to make a decision. Now, if that's always on the table, you're going to have a lousy time of it because you may never agree, right? We're told in Ephesians 4 that a man's job is to love his wife as Christ loved the church and was willing to give himself for her, for the church. So there is, a, 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 in a sense, that this covenant is based upon Christ's covenant with the church. He died, gave himself for the church. 
That was what he did. That's what a man's job is. So if somebody throws a large, heavy object in the direction of your wife, you do the right thing. Say, sorry, honey, and run the other way, right? No. You're supposed to run over there, and if it kills you, it kills you. That's what men are asked to do. In other words, you're supposed to give your life for your wife. And I think most men would do that. I mean, Christian men in particular, but I think most men would do that. That's what they're, that's kind of the way they're made. But on the other hand, what is, what is a woman's responsibility? Please, please, would a woman answer that question? I know, I know Albert's got the answer already, but uh, any woman? Yes, ma'am. What? And? Respect. And? Yes. I was thinking of something else. I got to say it. You're supposed to obey your husband. And the biggest question you're always going to get, always, is, yeah, but my husband's a knucklehead. He's going to make a mistake. I love the guy. He's a great guy. He's a great father. He's a great husband. But I'm supposed to trust this guy to make that decision? I mean, come on. That's the biggest objection you hear. Yes. Right. I understand, yeah. I just have to rest in God's position, God put him in, and for good or bad, that's on him. It's on me if I have a good attitude, not just to do what he says, but even in my attitude, how I do that. Mm-hmm. And the reason you feel that way, I would, would, would assume, is not because he has to, Kurt has told you that, but because, Kurt, <laughs> Burke, it's not because Burke told you that. It's because God's told you that. Uh, and God tells us a lot of things. We say, well, heck, I don't want to do that. Well, you're not God. He is. Usually that the equation works out in his favor. As a matter of fact, it always does. And, and Amy's got the right attitude. You're not actually obeying your husband because he's not a knucklehead. I'm not saying he is. You're obeying him because God says to, to do so. And as a man, you're not risking your life just for nothing. You're risking your life because God told you to do that. So it, it, it's not so much a problem between uh, a married couple as it is a problem with God if you do not wish to do that. Because God is not saying, well, I know your husband's a knucklehead, so let's just forget it. That, that's not it. And it's like the old story that uh, I've heard many times before. A woman was writing a grocery list down. I read an essay called Don't Send Your Your Husband to the Grocery Store. Thank you, by the way. I haven't been to the grocery store for years. (laughs) Don't miss it. And the reason is that you'll get somebody saying something like this. Now, here's what I want you to do. You get this and this and this and this and this. And they got it written down. And then they have the word Kleenex on there. So you go there, 
You're a literalist because you're male. Males take things literally. They don't get the wink, nod, uh, you know what I mean? Stuff. They don't do that. So you go to the grocery store and you get Kleenex. Then you go home and your wife said, well, what'd you get that for? And you say, well, honey, it's right here. She goes, you know, we don't use that. We use what? Puffs. And you say, what are you talking about? You, you didn't say puffs. You say Kleenex. And then she says, you, you got to know by now that our Kleenex is puffs. And then you say, okay, I'll go get it done. What, what else are you going to do, right? It happens. A uh, very interesting verse here I want to look at uh, as we conclude is 1 Timothy 2.14. Very interesting verse. Yes. Before we, before we get there, on that, on that personal testimony that I shared with you several years ago, <laughs> it's important that women know that we need specifics, not just in general. It would be nice if that was the case, but I don't think we always speak the same language. We don't. And, and you know... Uh, it's the old story of uh, propriety, the differences between the sexes. There are some things women won't do or assume you know. And if you were a woman, you would probably figure it out, okay? But like I said, men are, are, are built and engineered to take things literally, one at a time. This is my job. Let's go to the grocery store. And get Kleenex, just like she told me. <laughs> okay, uh, we're at First uh, Timothy two fourteen. Can somebody read that for us, real quick? Yes, sir. And Adam was not deceived. The woman was being deceived, fell into transgression. Next verse, please. Nevertheless, she will be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith, love, holiness. Thank you. That's, uh, that second verse is the one I wanted to talk about. That's 15, I guess. What do you, what, what do you think that means? First Timothy 2.15. Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbearing. What's that mean? In my opinion, absolutely. Christ came into the world through and physically was manifested through the efforts of a man. Wrong. How was God himself manifested on the earth? Through what device? Put it that way. Yeah, a woman. It happened to be a virgin, but it was through a woman. Right? Not, not through a man. And I think that this verse is uh, speaking to this because the, the only thing that might uh, saturate our minds a little bit would be the rest of the verse, which would take a long time to explain. And uh, what does that say? I don't have it open to the right verse. You guys do. Continue faith, love, holiness, and self-control. 
Okay, so is that a qualification of the first point? Or is that a consequence of doing the first point? That's the question. You can say, um, yeah, you were saved by childbearing, but you weren't this, 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 and this. Therefore, it's canceled. Or is it saying, no, it's a sure thing, but you will be doing this if you do this. So it's one of those old, old school questions, you know, where you don't really know is the second part of this uh, piece of scripture contrary to the first part or complementary to it? Does, that, does anybody know what I'm, I'm saying here? I think it is, yeah. Same as what? I think, I think that's the idea. Since this is within the world and within your realm as a woman, this blessing goes to you unless you do anything to mess it up. Others honestly would have the opinion, no, no, the second part of this verse is saying, yes, you may receive this blessing if you do this, 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 and this. And you can make an argument for both. And since there's an argument for stopping on time, let me stop. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time and your word. We uh, appreciate your uh, insights and wisdom. And uh, let us be guided by it at all times as we read the word of God. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you.